welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I am Jay Warmke. Today I'm Annie Warmke. You certainly are. And today we're going to talk about the challenges faced facing the Ohio River Valley, trying to create a sustainable and vibrant economy or reimagining Appalachia. And we are joined by Natalia Rudiak. And Natalia, your special projects director, is that right, for Reimagine Appalachia? Did I get that right? Indeed. So I direct a number of projects that are very special. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about those special projects and tell us a little (laughs) bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, to start out about myself, um, again, my name is Natalia Rudiak and I am um, born and raised in Western Pennsylvania, um, although with an immigrant um, uh, mother from Poland, um, from a farming family in Poland. Um, but I uh, mostly grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, actually, for a period of my career, I was a city council person here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I was a uh, two-term public servant, um, a Leslie Nope, if you will, if anybody is a Parks and Rec fan out there. It's very real. Um, so so, so yeah, you, you so- must have been bad in a past life in order to have to serve on, on uh, I know. Whenever anybody wins an election, I always say, oh, I don't know whether to say congratulations or condolences. No, I'm just kidding. I think um, you sense sympathy card. Yes, exactly. Um, But um, no, I've always been interested um, in public service. And as I, you know, as an elected official, I worked in everything. I mean, from public health to an an opioid, um, you know, worked in in the field of opioid addiction and overdose, and which was a big issue in my district, to um, public art, to sewage overflow, to sustainability and climate. So um, as a jack of all trades, um, I was interested in, um, you know, again, kind of coming into the next chapter of my career, being part of the solution. Uh, and I started working with Reimagine Appalachia, which is how, how I am here. Well, what is exactly Reimagine but wait, Appalachia? Wait, I want to say okay. something right. about that, because right. when I first saw that term, I thought, you know, this is something that I have said for 30 years, literally 30 years, that we have to reimagine where we are because we live in a culture that never gets better even when the rest of the country is doing better and it doesn't seem to change no matter what is happening with the economy or progressive anything and um and that people seem to just you know bellyache and i know where we are the leadership is horrendous and they're you know they're all sucking up to the elected uh, people which do nothing for us. So when I saw that reimagine um, Appalachia, uh, I say my grandma was Appalachian and she said Appalachia. So I can't ever seem to say Apple. Appalachia. No, um, I had to. I had to transition as well. I, I'm coming out as a person uh, that had to transition to say Appalachia. <laughs> I'm so, not gonna. I'm not right. gonna transition. So Annie's agreeing that this there's a need. So why mm-hmm. don't you tell us what what the what the organization is and and what you guys do? Yeah. So um, I mean, Annie has a has an excellent point, right? And I think that. Um, in many ways, we have been left behind. Um, and uh, the Reimagine Appalachia was essentially born out of the idea that 
the current economy in Appalachia, particularly in four states, we work primarily in four states. We work in Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, and Kentucky. Uh, so in the Appalachian parts of parts of those states. And um, yeah, I was born out of the idea that our economy is not working for us. The economy is not working for us in our region. And so it was started around 2020, where a number of organizations got together um, with the idea of building a brighter future for Appalachia. And we're a coalition. So we're um, a coalition of over 100 organizations, and that includes labor organizations, environmental organizations, racial justice, business. Um, and we have, uh, in addition, uh, over 100 elected officials who have endorsed our plan and um, faith leaders as well. So we're really trying to bring together some unusual suspects that don't usually talk to each other. I mean, you know, climate, a lot of climate environmental organizations don't necessarily talk to labor organizations mm -hmm. all the time and sometimes maybe at odds, right? So we're trying to find those places of overlap and where we can work together because that's the only way we're going to move forward. So it was, uh, we also have think tanks and research organizations to try to, you know, piece it all together to provide the case for why we need to do certain things. Um, so yeah, it was born in 2020 out of the idea that whether it was a year from then or five years from then, there would be a climate bill, an infrastructure bill, or a climate infrastructure bill coming out of the federal government. I mean, you could say that even during the previous administration of, of that president who shall not be named, right? There was a discussion of um, an infrastructure bill on the table. And we wanted to make sure that Appalachia was um, at the table and not on the menu. And a lot of the conversations about what would be in a potential climate infrastructure bill were driven by the East and West Coast. And we wanted always, to have, always. yeah, always, <laughs> we wanted to stand up. We wanted to have our own plan, our own way of doing things like kind of um, bust our way into the process. And so I'm, I, I, again, I could talk about this for hours, but I'll just briefly say um, that there are what was created was an Appalachian climate infrastructure blueprint. And there were five elements of that. Um, there was sustainable manufacturing, um, innovative manufacturing, clean manufacturing. So doing things like, okay, how can we create paint or bricks out of coal ash or bioplastics? How can we be um, part of the innovative manufacturing wave of the future? And we actually see that with some um, electric um, school buses, uh, plants coming into the region. So that's great. Um, we also talk about expanding broadband and modernizing the grid, which is obviously needed in our region. Um, we talked about reviving the Civilian Conservation Corps, which some folks may not know. Um, that was a plan um, originally, um, an FDR New Deal plan, um, but the mod there is there are a number of bills within the current Congress to revive the Civilian Conservation Corps and essentially put millions of people back to work through doing climate infrastructure things. So um, we have um, a lot of advocacy around this um, to put people to work through natural infrastructure, things like creating urban green space, trails, restoration work, flood mitigation, that's all natural infrastructure. And we wanna bring in people um, who have been caught up in the um, opioid abuse uh, criminal justice system, bring them back to work into these jobs. So that's the third element of our plan. Um, we're also looking at reclaiming the land, reclaiming the damage, um, 
plugging the thousands of oil and gas wells that we have across our region that are leaking um, methane and toxic gases. There are so many jobs that can be created through this, good union jobs that could be created. And the last piece is sustainable transportation, which I kind of mentioned before. So we have an Appalachian Climate Blueprint. We fought like heck to get these elements into the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inf Inflation Reduction Act. And we were pretty successful in that. So well, I was going to I was going to ask you about that with um, Joe Manchin having such an impact on the Inflation Reduction Act. Were you guys involved with with some of those discussions? Because it seems like there's a large portion of that particular bill that does focus on traditional fossil fuel extraction regions, on domestic manufacturing issues, mm -hmm. on brownfields. They're, they're the ones. Yeah. Are, are, is it mm -hmm. is it all Joe Manchin? We keep patting him on the back saying, you know, you did this, but but did he do it because you guys like had pictures of him on his boat that you could uh, leverage him with or something? <laughs> um, I, I, I wish. Um, no, but I think, you know, we because we're a coalition, um, we have so many partners across the region and we all started singing from the same hymn book. Right. Um, mm. So from the and. That's really special um, when you have so many coalition partners that are saying the same thing and really using similar research. I should mention, um, we have a lot of research on our website. Let me plug our website. It's reimagine Appalachia, Appalachia, reimagine Appalachia.org. <laughs> Um, please check it out. Um, and we have so much good information there on how many jobs can be created through these different types of industries. And I think that's a lot of the language that elected officials, whether it's senators and congressional representatives speak, right? And that's well, a lot of what people on the ground want to hear too. How does this impact my life directly? Um, so I'd like, you know, I, I believe that we had an impact um, on those uh, congressional discussions. I've and, heard people on the webinars yeah. give you lots of credit, people from the government giving you lots of credit mm. for those changes. So well done you. So Thank you. That's great to hear. I, I do have something I want to talk to you about because you mentioned that one of the key points of your your goal, your plan, has to do with broadband in rural areas. And the thing that I see where I'm sitting is that there's a lot of in the last since COVID, there's been a lot of play with the state legislators in Ohio and then the local chamber giving lip service to working towards broadband, but it's total BS. And it's like they're pushing back saying, yeah, we know that we should be doing that. And we know people are clamoring for high speed Internet. And we know also, this is the worst thing, that it would create economy in areas where it is so needed, sustainable practice stability. And, you know, they'll look you right in the eye and tell you, well, I was told at a meeting, you know, don't bring it up. And then when I did, I was ostracized by the chamber people because I brought it up. And this is ridiculous. And we, Jay and I, have been fighting for 20 years, well, more than that, really, um, for high-speed internet. And eventually what happened was we took our business, our office, and we moved it to a town. And that's in another county. And that, that, that shouldn't happen. 
but we were really, really at a point where if we wanted to grow our that this portion of our business, the solar um, installer class business, we had to. Yeah, I, maybe I should just sort of throw in here and then we'll see what you guys have on the agenda for this is when you're talking about broadband, there doesn't seem to be any action on the, the last mile kind of thing yes, where you're true. connecting down to the household and everybody goes, yeah, that's a problem. Well, you know what? It really is a problem. And, mm-hmm. and how are you going to, how are you going to fix that? We see hospitals getting it. Occasionally you see schools getting a it, library. that kind of thing, but it's not it, until, you know, when, when you're talking to the officials and they go, well, they can go to the, you know, to the high school for broadband or whatever. And I go, oh, and if you want to make a phone call, you can go down to the post office and wait in line. You know, I mean, people have phones in their homes. They need broadband in their homes. Mm-hmm. It's so bad, Natalia, that one of the mm-hmm. women that I work with um, that do webinars and things together, like this week, for example, we needed to talk on the phone and she was disconnected or I couldn't hear her. It took an hour to finish the conversation. At one point, she got it, the, the phone system kicked her off. And it's an hour to do the business. It was really important business um, where we're putting together women in ag dinner and it's going to make money for our region and everything. And here we are fighting just to talk on the phone. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's very, mm-hmm. very frustrating. It just feels like, why just give it up? Okay, so mm-hmm. we've 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 ranted at you. <laughs> it's not your fault. We well I'm, done you I'm for sure, trying. I'm sure this is the first time you've heard this as a problem, right? Yeah, right. Well, we, oh gosh, I mean, we want to put together a video of every single one of our webinars, and every single time there's some kind of snafu, right, where you say, "Oh, I can't hear you. Oh, we dropped you. Uh, I'll turn the video it's off." So uh, I mean. We all have it across Appalachia. I mean, I, we certainly have partners that can that do our calls that can never do the video, like can never do a Zoom call, can only do audio because the broadband simply isn't there. Um, and so we, we again, if you go to our website, um, we have um, some research around broadband. We're working with our partners. Um, and when I say partners, a lot of our partners on the broadband issue actually are labor unions because there are jobs that can be created from this. And again, this is an incentive that, um, (laughs) we'd like to think that local officials, um, would be able to, um, leverage. Um, but we, one of the things that we, um, our latest broadband report, our, one of our latest broadband yep. reports. Natalia, oh. before you get into that, let me let me interrupt it here for a second to let everybody know that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. Oh, man. And thank God. All right. Thank God. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So sorry for interrupting you there, Natalia. But uh, yeah, tell us tell us how you're going to oh, fix the yeah, broadband a- issue in the <laughs> next month. Yeah, how we're going <laughs> to fix it. Um, well, there's we have a report that has some recommendations for best practices or how, how we think that this issue can be tackled. Now, again, as a former elected official and as a current advocate and public policy wonk, there's no easy answer, right? We need pushing from the inside, pushing from the outside. Um, 
But, and you have to figure out where those pain points are, right? I hate to say pain points or trigger points and anything, right? If it's, if it's not the community meeting, is it, is it a state office? So for example, one of the things that we discuss is um, seeing, you know, and every state is different, right? But maybe state legislators should authorize the public service commission to regulate broadband as an essential utility, Uh um, which can then, um, you know, offer the ability to have these projects be more publicly regulated um, and invest in kind of these middle mile networks to support uh, broadband delivery. Um, Another example of um, one of these uh, practices that we have uh, that we're recommending is um, actually talking to the Biden administration of creating a White House broadband office or some kind of alternative mechanism for, you know, achieving some of these, these broadband policies um, that serve the bot that, that serve the public good. So, you know, what I just brought up, for example, is a federal solution or at least a federal mechanism. And then there's a state mechanism and then there's local mechanisms, which I, I, I obviously, I see that you have a lot of frustration with. Um, but um we have to find where those points are and advocate for them wherever we can. I would say if people are interested in the broadband issue, um, again, to please reach out to us. We do have an ongoing broadband team um, and it's a mix of researchers and advocates and labor unions to figure out how we can really push this issue. Well, so. let me let me um, give you an example of something that happened. I'm interrupting Annie here, but <laughs> okay. um, you know, I've been on these commissions for a while, and nothing seems to get happen. You know, gets done. But um, a while back, AT and T, when they were wanting to merge with Southwestern Bell, agreed to provide broadband to all of their customers, uh, DSL broadband, and that was um, part of the agreement for the merger. Um, then as soon as the merger went through, they said, oh, that thing we said we would do, you know, well, we're really not going to do it. And, and government didn't step in, Mm -hmm. but then what they did in, in our particular on the Ridge where our farm is located is they decided that instead of providing broadband to their customers, they'd simply rip up all of the landlines, um, Mm -hmm. and stop servicing that area. So, from our farm and maybe one or two down the road, you continue on. There's no cellular service. There's no phone service. There's no, let alone broadband, there's no telephone service for these mm-hmm. homes, probably 70 homes. So if they need to make a 911 phone call, they got to get in their car and drive mm-hmm. until they can get service. Now, mm-hmm. this is, I, I would say it's a third world nation, but third world nations have cellular service. Well, that's you know? right. They don't <laughs> have the infrastructure to support. I mean, well, let, let so me. So how do we, I mean, this is, it, it's unacceptable. And when you talk to these officials, they just go, yeah, yeah, that's a problem. You know, mm-hmm. and, well, and you go, all right, so fix it. Well, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I think they give lip, lip service, but I know recently in the last couple of years, there have been in the state of Ohio, they've sent out these sort of bidding process to different providers and they sort of chopped up areas and said, how about if you want to, you know, provide service in this area, but they can't get anybody to do it because Mm -hmm. they don't want to invest in rural uh, Ohio. And Mm -hmm. so my thinking is that how do we make it 
like the local chambers idea. You know, they have their broadband. They love to play lip service. Oh, that's terrible that you don't have service. Um, mm. But we have representatives, our, our state, our uh, federal representative, he just sucks. He's a moron. And he, he, the things he puts out that he's working on are like, you need to get a life. You know, yeah. you don't even read anything. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is how do we, how are we able to push? I mean, I've made all kinds of, I've presented all kinds of ideas. I've sent research. I spoke well, on behalf of the people in my area to the government. what we can do is band together with a whole bunch of other organizations Ooh. and speak with a unified voice for the people mm. of Appalachia. How's, how's that for an idea there? Mm. Well, we have tried, but maybe <laughs> it wasn't the right people. All right. So, so Natalia, we're well, here. We want we to speak for the people, our neighbors, because it's it's awful. Yeah. So uh, let's see. One of the one of the other. So let me put it this way: a couple of the stakeholders that I work with, I work with two different stakeholder groups, um, in addition to others. But I'll bring out two that I work with. So one of the stakeholder groups that I work with, of course, is a former ele local elected official. Um, I, I have a special place in my heart for local elected officials. <laughs> me too, um, but it's not the same kind of special. No, no. I mean, <laughs> believe me, as a local elected official, it's not like I worked with heavenly angels, right? Like, it's not like I worked with a chorus of angels. I get it. I absolutely get it. Don't, uh, I get it more than then maybe you can even know. Um, so I get it. In trying to work with other local elected officials, I got to know all stripes. That being said, the local elected officials that have endorsed our Appalachian Climate Blueprint um, are, are the folks, you know, that, that we're excited about making change with. And they're from small towns of 200 to large cities like Pittsburgh, um, to counties, to, to townships. And so we're trying to band together the really, the you know, folks that, folks that have the right idea going on and to learn from each other and to work with other sticks in the mud that they may have on their council sticks or their in township. The mud. Or their That's board. a good one. I'm going to Yeah. Remember. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so we're really trying, right. And a lot of our local elected officials um, are just like you, right. I mean, they're, they're, they're everybody from the local little league coach to, um, you know, the local farmers to um, the greenhouse workers to everybody. So um, they're just local elected officials. They're just like us. Um, and they're trying to make the good change. So um, we're trying to connect those folks to, you know, the good ideas and to the camaraderie that they can feel that they're not alone in trying to make change in their towns. Um, and we also, I also work with the faith community. Um, so I work, I basically facilitate our faith in action team at Reimagine Appalachia. And so we have on board everybody from the Evangelical Environmental Network to the West Virginia Council of Churches to a number of interfaith organizations. And we are jumpstarting a community organizing model. It's called the Reimagine Your Community Model. And it, we have a toolkit. Um, we're actually uh, updating our Faith in Action site as I speak. Um, but we are launching a toolkit to help lay people of faith or faith leaders um, jumpstart a visioning process for a sustainable economic um, vision for it could be a few city blocks, it could be a village, it could be a county. I mean, some of our counties have a few thousand people, right? Um, so um, we're, we're looking for faith 
faith, people of faith as a pilot program um, to jumpstart these conversations because a lot of we're finding that a lot of people of faith can rise above the divisiveness, some of the political divisiveness that we have in our communities. Um, they can um, kind of just bring that additional voice that that may not be expected in these conversations. And we have a lot of our faith leaders from from these these partner organizations who are st stepping out and saying the word climate for the first time, right? And that's a huge deal. Um, we actually got an article in The Guardian about um, how some of our, they call us Southern, by the way. They call us, they're calling us Southern. Um, how Southern ministers can change the conversation around climate. And so um, I don't know, you know, how, what your relationship is with faith or faith leaders, um, but maybe I would love to speak further about our, our toolkit. Um, we're looking for pilot communities right now um, to bring people together, bring the chamber together, bring the rotary together, bring some of our other churches together, other places of worship, bring folks like yourself, bring some of the activists together. Not everybody's going to hold hands and sing, you know, Kumbaya, um, but um, at least there could be some folks in the room to create through this, through this toolkit, through this process, create a vision, a holistic vision for where we want the community to go. Um, and through that vision, take people along or let them leave them behind on where we want to go. So I'd love to speak more about that. At some point. I would love to okay. talk to you about it too. Okay. But we, for today, we've got about two minutes to mm -hmm. uh, have you uh, how about telling us some of the successes that you've had um, or that you've perceived uh, I know you've only been around, you said about two years, three years um, yeah. as an organization, but have you had anything that you're like pointing to saying, hey, you know, we've done good? Yes. Um, so we are just basically really excited about our, our the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, that is huge. We got, we got so we got so much in it. Uh, we got so many of our uh, priorities in it. So we're really excited about that. Um, but we've also developed close relationships with federal agencies. So the Department of Energy, the Department of Labor, the Department of Interior. And so, yes, there's the congressional process, but then there's also like the executive branch and all those federal agencies. And with these federal agencies, we are advancing conversations about the guidelines for some of how this funding will be spent, particularly guidelines around those jobs and what strings should be attached to those jobs. And so we um, have, have worked with the Department of Interior, for example, to create draft guidance on um, how, those, how those jobs should be paid and there should be pre apprenticeship programs and apprenticeship programs. So their career, their career jobs. Um, and so we're also, um, okay. So the Department of Energy um, now is requiring um, part of, for some funding streams, a community benefits plan attached to the application for some funding streams. That's another conversation. We can have another conversation about community benefits plans. Um, but we're excited that we're seeing some strings attached to some of this upcoming funding that will help us, quote unquote, win the win for our communities. Because, yes, we won this, but now we have to get some of this funding siphoned to our communities. Right. So, yes, we won the, the wins. Well, yes, we won the money, kind of. 
But now we have to like, we're in like phase 2.0 now where we're trying to poise our communities to get some of this funding. Okay. Well, Natalia, I can see we're going to have to have you back on several more times. All right. (laughs) Okay. Well, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our guests today. Natalia uh, Rudiak. Natalia, thank you very, very much from Reimagine Appalachia. We want to thank our Emmy Award winning producer, Adam Rich. And we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... My Appalachian grandma said, play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and eat your veggies because they taste delicious. All right. Till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockStation.com.